Welcome to the Old Galway Diary podcast. Each week, Tom Kenny and I, Ronnie O'Gorman, write a column in the Galway Advertiser. Before it goes to press, we contact each other and share what is filling the page that particular week. This podcast is that conversation. And I would add, we enjoy talking to you and would appreciate if you would give us a rate and review on the Apple Podcast app. Tom, good morning. I heard great, great things about the university last weekend and how well they greeted their honoured, honoured graduates such as yourself. How did it go, Tom? Tell us about it. Well, I have to say it was very impressive. Uh, I bet. A girl called Catherine Conroy was the organiser-in-chief. Right. And she did an outstanding job. <clears throat> there was only one speech which came from the president. Each of the honorees, uh, they had a brief film of about two minutes long. Uh, right about each of them and then they were called up and received their award but the videos were wonderful and i have to say (laughs) the list of achievement uh it was really impressive from all the other award winners yes Uh, you know genuinely it didn't matter what age they were i was by far the oldest in this but that's i don't believe that well, I'm afraid I was. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it was wonderful. And I was uh, very yeah. impressed. And I was very grateful and very honoured. Excellent. Tom, aren't we lucky to have such a good university in the middle of our town and yes. in the middle of our community? It really is wonderful. And it plays yeah. such a vital part, I think, in city life. I mean, all those students, you know, that we welcome them back in the autumn because they're great. They sit out and have their coffees. You know, they're all over the place. They, I think they enjoy themselves here in Galway, you know. Well, that was a point that very much came across in the videos from these people, uh, these other honorees, and and also the fact that the university is in the centre of town almost. Yes. Uh, It's part of the city, and they are part of the kind of fabric of the city. Yes. And they're welcomed, and this this was very much uh, a point being made by a number of those people. I'm delighted. And also, I'm glad to see that the university is building back into the city now. It's, it has designs on Nuns Island, as you know, and yeah. uh, they're going to build various students' accommodation there, which I think is a great idea. I was afraid the university was going too far upriver. They'd be in my Cullen before we knew it. And, you know, they, they keep on building new buildings upriver. But I'm glad to say... They plan to come back into the centre of the town more with new buildings. And well, I think if ever they, awesome. sorry, if ever they put up a statue in UC, UC I have to call it UCG. I'm sorry. Right. Uh, it should be to Jerry Lee, who was the housing buildings officer for many he was years. Indeed, he was indeed. And thanks to him, they have the campus that they have today because he kept buying up land around and Newcastle. He had vision and foresight and. Yeah. Yeah, thanks to him. But but Tom, not only was Jerry, the late Jerry Lee, 
uh, a wonderful buildings officer. He, he was great for students as well. And he gave great support, to, you know, to Machnus and to Druid and to all of these artistic yeah. endeavours that were coming out and were sort of, you know, part of the university, yet they were also part of the city. And there was this wonderful melding, which still exists. I think the university almost melds into the town and it's it's yeah. just lovely. Oh, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. I'm glad that was recognised at your talk. But you had a great night, Tom. That sounds we did, we did. It yeah. was wonderful. Yeah. Well done. Well done, Tom. <laughs> well, <laughs> listen, back to more mundane things, I'm afraid. What are you going to tell us about this week? Well, uh, today I am talking about the careers of two men. <clears throat> two men who were both elected as TDs for County Galway in 1918. Both on the side of Sinn Féin. There were four TDs elected in that. Uh, there were Galway was four constituencies in that election. And all four were elected were Sinn Féin TDs. And the first I want to talk about today is Liam Mellows. Yeah. Liam Mellows was actually born in England in 1892. His dad was an NCO in the British Army. And his mother, Sarah, she came from Wexford. Uh, the family moved back to Dublin when he was very, three years old, and his father was eventually stationed in Cork. So Liam went to a number of military schools in both Dublin and Cork. But in spite of that education, he became an, a, a nationalist at a very early age. <clears throat> and uh, Tom Clark recruited him into Nafiana and he was sworn into the IRB. He was also a founding member of the Irish Volunteers, and they gave him a full-time job, uh, which in time sent him to Galway. And his job there was <clears throat> to rebuild the volunteer organisation. And so he based himself in Athenry, which for him was central, cent the centre of the county, really. <clears throat> He was greeted <laughs> with some scepticism by all the local countrymen. Yeah. He was a very small man. <clears throat> uh, and they, these locals felt, what, who's this guy that keeps <laughs> telling us about the hard work we have to yeah. do? Yeah. But it didn't take them long to learn from him. And to uh, he, he certainly earned their utmost respect. He was arrested on a number of occasions and... Uh, he was, became a master at using disguises. He escaped from jail on a few times. And uh, from Reading Jail, he came, he escaped again as a priest, disguised as a priest. <clears throat> and he came back to Galway to lead the insurrection in Galway. Uh, he managed to evade capture after the rising and he went, left for America. And in fact, they put him in jail there because at the behest of the British authorities who said he was all kinds of a spy and stuff. He was elected to the first doll, as I say, and he was a director of supplies for the IRA in the War of Independence. He was a great life and soul of the party, this guy. He was a very good musician, uh, a very good singer, and a very funny man, apparently, who was always telling jokes. But... When the treaty was signed, he became uh, an, a, very much an opponent of the treaty. And he was in the four courts uh, when, and was arrested, obviously, with the, all of the others. 
and he was imprisoned in Mount Joy Jail. And then uh, on the 7th of December, 1922, the uh, Republicans, they attacked and shot two TDs. Yeah. Horik uh, O'Malia and Sean Hales. And they killed Hales. O'Malia managed to survive. But the then government decided that uh, as a reprisal for this and in order to stop any such future attacks, they executed four Republican prisoners. They took them out of Mount Joy and executed them. And <clears throat> uh, Mellows was one of those people. Now, Parik O'Malley, the man who was attacked yeah, yeah. by the Republicans, he was born in Kilmilken in the Mam Valley in 1878. He was one of nine surviving children, all of whom were home educated. He worked on the farm. He was a founding member of Sinn Féin and also of Conor Nagoyga, and he became an organiser for Conor Nagoyga. He fought alongside Mellows during the Rising and obviously uh, during the War of Independence. He was elected again in, uh, in 1918 as an MP for Galway West. He became a member of the First Dáil in 1919. Uh, he was re-elected in 21, 1921 and again in 22. But he was pro-treaty, where Mellows was anti-treaty. And uh, he, as in... Uh, Omalia, he was targeted for assassination because he voted for the Special Powers Resolution. So, as I say, on the 7th of December, he and his fellow TD, Sean Hales, they were shot outside the Ormond Hotel. They were on their way to the Dáil. Uh, Omalia was shot in the spine, but he somehow managed to drag Hales. Hales was bleeding profusely. He dragged him into his car and he drove him to hospital. Uh, where Hales was pronounced dead. And as I say, uh, the following morning, the four leading Republicans were executed. They were Rory O'Connor, Dick Barrett, Dick McKee, and Liam Mellows. The uh, O'Malley was later often accused of personally selecting Mellows for execution. Oh, dear. Even though he was very seriously wounded and in hospital at the yeah. time. And and in fact, later, Mello's mother and his yeah. brother both said that uh, that was nonsense, that uh, mm-hmm. couldn't have anything to do with They it. were friends. Mello's and Amalia were friends, Tom. They were. They were, exactly. Yeah. And this was the awful thing about it. Yeah. Uh, Amalia went on to have a career. He, he lost his seat eventually. <clears throat> He uh, he set up a new party called Clan Airden, which wasn't very successful, and he ended his political career as a Fianna Fáil senator. Right. He died in 1946. Now, the reason uh, that I have picked these, and I have two photographs this week, uh, one of Mellows, which I doubt has been seen by very many people before, mm-hmm. with his mother as a young boy. He was about eight or nine, I would say, in this. And the second is of Parag O'Malia, together with W.T. Cosgrove and Ona Duffy, and they are photographed at the funeral of Michael Collins. And both of these photographs are part of an exhibition that is on in 
has just opened in Galway City Museum. Mm. It's called War of Friends, and it includes a number of storyboards and photographs uh, and some very fascinating artefacts. It's built around these two men. So the very famous last letter of Liam Mellows, which he wrote to his mother just hours before he was executed, that is on show for the first time in public. Uh, and, for example, there's a, a revolver that Michael Collins gave to Parag Amalia as a wedding present. A pretty strange kind of a wedding I present. Know, here but, you are. But they, these were the times <laughs> that were in it. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, there are quite a number of personal items relating to both men. And I have to say, <laughs> it's not a huge exhibition, but it is fascinating. Thanks. It's going Thanks. to run for a few months, and I would highly recommend it to anybody who can go and see this show, Galway City Museum. Yeah. That, that That's really excellent, Tom, because you've hit on the two uh, big events there, the, the, the War of Independence and followed by the Civil War. And yeah. uh, both men were involved in both terrible instances, in dramatic instances. Yeah, Omolia and uh, Liam Mellows were friends. Uh, and Omolia came out with Mellows in 1916. Now, the Galway coming out did not amount to much, I'm afraid. They didn't get the weapons they were expecting. As we know, the odd was sunk. Yeah, yeah. They had no weapons but a few bits and pieces, revolvers and shotguns, which were no good. They attacked one or two RIC stations around the place. They disbanded after four or five days, which was quite considerable, really. And as you say, Mellows went to America. Now, from what I can read, Mellows became terribly depressed in America. As you say, he was hounded by the authorities. The British were using their influence against him. He was hounded by the authorities. He did not have a comfortable time. In fact, he had a very uncomfortable time. And mm -hmm. when Dev came over to raise money, during the War of Independence, the two of them hit it off very well. And he looked after Dez in the sense that he helped to arrange meetings and collections and things like that. And that kind of yeah. did him good. And he came back then to the country, came back then to Ireland, while still the War of Independence was going on, but was nearing an end. And he rightfully took his place there. I mean, a very interesting man. Yes, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> both of them are interesting. Yeah. And but the awful thing is, yeah. sorry, Ronnie, you, is this, you know, The War of Friends is the title yes, of this exhibition. Very good title. Koga Nagarad, as it is in Irish. Yeah. And here are two men who grew up together fighting for the same cause and suddenly fighting against each other. Yeah. And it's yeah. awful to, just to think of it. And yes, I know. Anyway, yeah. anyway, well, that was 100 years ago. Well, Porico Molios, of course, is from the Great O'Malley families from the Mam Valley in, in Connemara and are yeah. still, still in existence. As you say, they were all homeschooled. Most of them went into the medical profession and they're still there today. There's great yeah. pride amongst that great family uh, yeah. still there today. But um, Porico Molios was a great man as well. He, he really fought a, a fine battle uh, on behalf of the Republic of Ireland, you know, a, an honourable man in every sense. And he was absolutely appalled that his friend Mellows was taken out and shot that time. Yeah. He was absolutely yeah. appalled. And you're quite right to say he, you know, he, he, he was absolutely stunned. And he was in contact with Mello's family, expressing his sheer horror and, and exasperation that such a thing could have happened, you know. But yeah, exactly, exactly. They were awful 
old days and um you know the 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 government felt the only way to stop the civil war is to take out people who got weapons and shoot them and it, it was very harsh very harsh but it certainly it, was it certainly it, was it did bring things to a to a climax and did bring them to yeah. an end actually <laughs> And of course, allowed for generations of bitterness, which you, which you and I, <laughs> had from our parents, because yes, you know, indeed, my parents yeah. were very, very uh, anti-dev, uh, you know, and that's and really viciously so. I've told, I've told, um, yeah, Eamon O'Keeve, I said, oh my goodness, if my family could get hold of your grandfather, that'd be terrible, terrible row. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just smiled. Yeah. <laughs> just smiled. Yeah. But uh, that's all over us now. And it'll be interesting to see that exhibition. I will go to see that with great interest. Oh, highly recommend it. I will love Brendan, it. Brendan McGowan has done a wonderful I know Brendan job. Well. Brendan is an outstanding historian and a great yeah. man to put on an exhibition. And he's been working on this yeah. for months. That's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm delighted about that. Tom, that's just great. I'm excited because I will definitely go and see that and enjoy it. Well, come on, you can excite oh, me now. What's <laughs> in the diary? Yeah, this I, 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 I have been looking around, looking around. And of course, we're coming up to Halloween and I love Halloween. I must say it's just the real turning of the year into the old pagan winter, the old period of sound. And I just love Halloween. There's a kind of a feeling, whether it's the descending darkness coming earlier, I don't know what it is, the change in the clocks. I don't know what it is, the feeling of spirits being abroad, the fun children have dressing up in all these mad, weird skeleton outfits that they wear. My little grandchild is three. She's going to be a cosmonaut, which I thought was an amazing choice. I couldn't believe it. Yes, indeed. Very <laughs> sophisticated. I thought, yes, with a helmet. She wants a helmet and all that's being made. But she's to be a cosmonaut. But I was looking back at a new collection of Irish folklore uh, by John Creedon from RT. He's done a brilliant job. Tom, you would have written about this before, and certainly I have, that in the 1930s, there was a the, the Irish school children, and it was an inspired task. Irish school children in the 1930s were 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 tasked with asking their parents and grandparents and their neighbours to tell them old stories, oral stories that have been passed down through the generations. And these stories were written out in children's copybook. And today they form the basis for the National Folklore Archive Schools Collection, the most brilliant piece of education that could ever be devised, was devised yeah, yeah, yeah. An inspired thing to get young people to do so. Yes, and has produced many books since. Yeah, Katrina, uh, the late Katrina Hastings wrote a beautiful book on the some of these uh, children's observations in County Galway. That's wonderful. One, that's yeah. wonderful. I know of that book. Well, I'm just looking. I just looked at the John Creedon book. It's a very nicely produced book, actually, and I'd say it'll sell well for Christmas. And I was looking through, and the, the, you know, there's a lot of good stories. There's one story that that you might be aware of the white hair, the legend of the white hair of Balnehinge. The white hair, this is an old mythological um, uh, sort of creature, if you like. Uh, hairs have got a certain amount of magic attached to them. They're quite rare. They're one of our last surviving mammals. Um, they, 
it is said by legend, though I don't think it's necessarily true, that their hair goes white in the winter time, and so it's very hard to see them against the frost on the mountains and uh, the frost in the or the snow. The white hair it just moves very very quickly, and it's it's a wonderful kind of mythological beast. So I'm just taking a story. I mightn't go through it all now, but it's it's a very interesting story. The white hair uh, being chased and hunted by a, a, a student priest. Now, I think that's significant, a student priest, and his hound is an all-black hound. And it was believed that only the all-black hound could chase and find this hare. Now, the reason why uh, in um, Balna Hinch the hare was was you know, sought after because she was causing trouble. She was milking the cows. She was putting her mouth up against the mouths, uh, the udders of the cows and milking them. So when the people came home, there was no milk left. And also they felt she was contaminating the butter that they were trying to make. So it was necessary for them to hunt the white hare and track it down. And I, I won't tell you this, the ending of the story, but it's quite interesting. Uh, at least I found it fascinating. But then, Tom, I, I, I wasn't going to do another one. And I did something you might approve of. I looked at some of the wonderful paintings of Daniel MacLeese. And yes. he does the most brilliant painting of Halloween Snapapple and bobbing of apples. Now, this is in the Crawford Gallery in Cork. And I, I don't know if you've ever been in that gallery, Tom, but it's my absolute yes. favourite after the um, the one in Parnell Square in Dublin. But this is a beautiful gallery in Crawford Gallery in Cork. It's full of kids with doing exercises and going through the place busy looking at paintings it's full of artists sitting on the floor drawing you know it's it does everything that an art gallery should do and i know you've longed for an art gallery in galway and we haven't lost that argument yet tom we, we it may actually happen but this is a wonderful painting and i'm reproducing it as much as i can this week and it was this first of all this man daniel MacLeese, was a very interesting painting a victorian artist uh, what a tremendous talent. And he really made his name in painting great historical scenes like the death of Nelson. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, his, uh, you know, coming to fruition as a great artist just at the time when they were rebuilding Westminster, uh, the great parliament at Westminster. And he was tasked with painting the House of Lords, the great murals in the House of Lords, which he did. And they are extraordinary. I've seen them. They're absolutely <laughs> extraordinary. They're so powerful and strong. But anyway, he paints this wonderful scene. He goes to a Halloween party in Blarney in 1832. Now, I always think, you know, that that time before the famine was a time of modest uh, wealth in Ireland, shared by the peasantry and the working and the merchant class. You know, it was pre-famine. There was a kind of a, uh, a good feeling about Ireland. Daniel O'Connell was making great progress. He had won emancipation for Catholics. They were now allowed to sit in the House of Parliament. And his great goal now was home rule. Of course, that would not be achieved in his lifetime. But he enthused and fired the country. There was a great spirit, a great feeling of Irishness 
nationalists and nationalism and a great, you know, uh, opportunities to celebrate. And one of the great things they celebrated was Salon. And uh, yeah. his painting, if you know it at all, Tom, it's just great. It's full it's, of yeah. lovers and it's full of people doing the bobbing of apples. It's full of other people trying to bite an apple hanging from a string. It's full of all kinds of interesting things. And on the left-hand corner of the painting, which I saw with my delight was a, an attractive woman. All the women are very attractive in it, of course. But this particular woman, she has her back to the artist and she's wearing a scarf featuring Daniel O'Connell. I was delighted when I saw it. And I said, yes, that's the spirit of the moment. Do you know that painting I'm talking about, Tom? I do. I do. I do. A great yeah. painting. Yeah, it's full of charm. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it really? Isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. 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 So I squeezed as much space as I can out of my page this week to get as much of that painting in it because I'm quite sure when people look around it, they will smile and perhaps remember some of the traditions they had when they were growing up, which sadly yeah. I think are lost today. Where, you know, young children seem to be, you know, immersed in dressing up and looking fantastic, some of them wonderful, and going around trick or treating. But uh, I, I hope they have time to to replay some of these old traditions, such as the bobbing of apples in the here, here. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. young girls should be aware that, you know, if you take a bite from that apple that's bobbing in the water and bring that bite of apple home with you and put it under your pillow, guess what, Tom? You will dream of the man you're going to marry. Yeah, I know. I and say, if you're lucky enough to get the right slice out of the bread, yeah. <laughs> uh, you may also find your man of your dreams. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I should say the person you're going to marry because nowadays, oh, indeed, nowadays <laughs> it's 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 open. It's open. Anyway, Tom, look, that's what I'm on about this week, and uh, we'll we leave it there. So well, I look forward to that. Yeah. I, I uh, as as a gift the other night in the uh, <clears throat> college, in college, yeah. yeah. I was given by one of my colleagues a conquer, oh, a, ch a chestnut beautiful with the lace through it, and he oh. told me this was his second best conquer. He was keeping the best for himself, <laughs> rightly. But I was very impressed. Uh, it's such a lovely, thoughtful little gift, and it brought me back. I mean, yeah, I remember uh, outside McDermott's, outside the house, Nye Lodge. Uh, throwing up sticks and stones, yeah. trying to knock these chestnuts off the big trees there and all of these competitions. And that's that's a game, a pastime that doesn't seem to be there anymore either. No, no, you no. Know, it was a, a naive kind of uh, yeah. childlike game that was just harmless but great fun. Uh, Tom, absolutely. And I still get a pleasure if I'm walking under a chestnut tree to see these little prickly uh, round balls on the ground and you yeah. prize them open and there inside glistening, yeah. glistening is the briar colour of the chestnut. Absolutely. Exactly. Beautiful. That's yeah. such a lovely yeah. thing. Yeah, that, that yeah. was a great game. I played it myself and threw sticks up at those chestnut trees at Nylot, as you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you could cheat, of course, and put your chestnut up the chimney for a couple of weeks. I know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then you'd come that... down and, and you'd win. We'd win. <clears throat> yeah. You. Anyway. Yeah. All right, then. That's lovely. Okay. Bye, Tom. Okay, until next week. So. Okay, I hope you bob those apples. Bye. <laughs>